like it. When we come over here, we're in a different space. We're in a, a different room. Uh, some of you, I'm certain because this is a large enough group of humans, don't like it. And so I always have to uh, struggle a little bit in my life when things go differently than I think they're going to go. acceptable, which is 
Hey, we'll bring along another woman, a servant woman, and I have my husband uh, make a child with her. And so that's what they did. And that was culturally uh, acceptable at the point. But the problem was, is it wasn't obedient to God. Uh, we talked about a lot of those dynamics uh, last year. So we need to be aware of practical advice that might sound great according to the culture, but it's not grounded in God's word. There's Genesis 3 and verse 12. I reminded you last week about how Adam had uh, listened to Eve. Uh, she, he, he partook uh, when, when she did, and he didn't have the, uh, the filter to say, hey, uh, no, we shouldn't be involved in this. In the same way, uh, last week we saw in verse 2 at the very end here, it says, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Neither were listening to the voice of God. Neither were listening to what he had clearly said. And so the men... And both of those were complicit with what the, the women did. They joined in. Uh, nobody had a filter. There is a, a great picture of this uh, later on in, uh, in, in Genesis. We will see uh, Joseph, the great patriarch, who is tempted uh, by a woman and actually flees. And so there's some contrast in those characters. But for now, uh, what we find out is there was a disobedience of God. And we started there with the conflict uh, last week. And so what happened then is... Uh, the plan worked as far as being able to conceive a child through Hagar, but then the plan didn't work because Hagar took an attitude uh, with her authority figure, Sarai, and Sarai became enraged. See, sexual sin feels good, but it never works. It may be our plan. It may be what we've uh, desired and brought to being, uh, but it never works. It never pleases God. And so Sarai goes back to her husband. She begins to blame everybody in the whole room but herself. And so finally Abram says, you know what? Uh, you're the one who has control over her. Do as you wish. And so she uh, then mistreated Hagar. And we end up in uh, this terrible uh, family situation uh, that never should have happened. And we have this conflict that brews, kind of brings us to the, the place where we picked up today in verse 7. So... As a result of Hagar's mistreatment, she fled. The end of verse 6, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. All right, so that's where we pick up today. I want to do just a short uh, summary of where we were last week to start. So here's where we'll spend the bulk of our time today. Uh, the conflict, the disobedience, uh, the fallout. All of these things were undesirable and were the, the, uh, were the result of disobedience, but they ended up being soil where God begins to plan uh, some of his work for the future. So, a God who sees. Verse 7, she had fled, and here's what happened. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, a spring on the way Sure, and I'm going to read verse 8 if you still have your Bibles open because we'll talk about both of these. He said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. So who was it? Who found Hagar? Verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord found her. God found Hagar. And made great promises. Before we get into the angel of the Lord, what is this business about? Can we just stop for a 
a moment and see this desperate woman, she doesn't answer the second question. She doesn't know where she's going. Where have you come from? Where are you going? She doesn't answer that question. She doesn't know where she's going. She says, I fled from Sarah. That's all she knew. She ran away because the treatment was so bad. And so in that desperation, God finds her and meets her and gives her promises. Wow. Just think about that. Sometimes we feel our weakest when we're desperate, when we don't know, when something has not really gone according to the way that we think it should go. Oh, what an amazing God that we serve who finds us when we're desperate. So we can't skip past that in the name of details. I just want us to see that he connects with her in that desperation. So it's the angel of the Lord. We see that in verse 7. Uh, we see it again in verse 9. We see it again in verse 10. We see it again in verse 11. This is a prominent character in this passage. Who is the angel of the Lord? Anybody got a guess? I'm hearing, I'm hearing Jesus. Okay? There is strong evidence for us to believe that this is pre-incarnate Jesus, pre-New Testament Jesus. Uh, this is a, a person, a form that is recognized. It's either the Lord Jesus himself or it is some epiphany or some, some picture, vision of God that uh, people were able to interact with and recognize uh, as God himself. This isn't just a different... You have to be as annoyed as I am. So I'm just going to shut it off and I'm going to shout. All right. Some days it just to see you just got to go with something different, right? You just got to go with something a little bit different. So uh, we'll just keep on going. But hey, uh, the angel of the Lord, strong evidence for us to understand and to believe that this is uh, pre-incarnate Jesus. This is someone who is interacting. This is someone who is showing the characteristics of God. Uh, this is someone who is uh, showing compassion and communicating God's will on God's behalf. And so there's this figure who's inserted. This isn't the only place we see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. We see the angel of the Lord several times. Maybe you're curious. You want to write down a note or underline that. Uh, do a little bit more homework later. Uh, but let's know that once again, God is coming from outside of the story and inserting himself into the story in order to communicate with a character who's in distress. This isn't the first time we've seen this in scripture, certainly not the first time in the story of Abram and Sarai. So great promises that God made. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Return to your mistress and submit to her. That's what the angel said. Doesn't sound like great advice. Things weren't going very well back there, were they? But sometimes God calls us into a place where we're not sure we should go or we don't want to go. Because why? Because that's what he has for our good. It was it after that command to go back and to return to Sarai, say, hey, go ahead and go back. There's, there are great things that are going to happen for you. I want us, I want us to see this. 
picks up at verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, verse 11, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Verse 12, He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinmen. Kinsmen. Amazing promises that God gives to Hagar. But you might wonder, why is there this blessing of a child and all of this potential <coughs> conflict and violence? Some of the descriptions of this child who are coming are, are not necessarily great. They're not real warm and fuzzy. A wild donkey of a man and his hand against everyone's and everyone's hand against him. And who wants this said about our children? But there's, there's blessing. There's God communicating and finding someone in their distress and this type of a prophecy. And it all comes together. And you may say, why is that so? And to that I would say, great question. That makes a lot of sense that we would wonder that. We'd scratch our heads. Did I say that sometimes the way God makes promises are is complex. Not necessarily easy for us to figure out. And so uh, we, we have at uh, the root here a great promise of a child. This is the first child that God named while it was in the womb in Scripture. Ishmael. First time it happened. And so let's also take a pause here and understand that God values and has purposes for life in the womb. I don't want to take a huge aside on that, but let's see that again right here in Genesis 16, that God is a God of life, and while it is in the womb, enough on that for today, but it's here and we need to, uh, need to embrace that. So, so what if things are complex and layered? Let's dive into the deep end a little bit and let's, let's go after it. Uh, is the whole thing a big fiasco from here on out? Do these promises, are they completely awful? Is there, is there nothing but violence? Well, at times, yes, there is. I can't deny that. But there's also uh, some, some places where we see uh, Ishmael and Isaac, the actual child of promise, having some evidence of a decent relationship. They show up together to bury their father, Abraham. Esau, another character later in the future, uh, he marries an Ishmaelite, and there had to be approval from both sides of the family for a union to happen in those days. So there's, there's some evidence here that there are some, some decent relationships that carry forward. We're going to talk a little bit more about this as we go along, but these are the promises. Even with all the black and white or some of these seemingly conflicting elements together, will we submit? Will we submit to this God? Hagar is told to go back into a situation where she doesn't know. I'm not sure I would want to be in her shoes. I have to go submit to that master who had just mistreated me. But that's where God directed her. And so what happened? God's promises satisfied Hagar. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. Ishmael's name literally is God hears. 
Here in verse 13, she calls the name of the Lord, you are a God of seeing. Literally, the God who sees. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. These promises were water for the soul of Hagar. They were water. They were nourishment for her. She responded. She knew that God had helped her. She knew that God was with her. He had found her in her desperation. She was able to recognize that, and she named that characteristic of God. It's phenomenal to think about. Maybe some of your best moments in relating to God is when you realized that he knew where you were in your most desperate. If that's you, you can relate to Hagar. She's a God who, he, he's a God who sees. He's naming my child Ishmael, the God, who, the God who hears. God hears. He knows. He's able to relate. But here's the caution when it comes to being satisfied by the promises of God. Have you ever had a time where you felt like God was really moving in your life and communicating something really powerfully? Or maybe you've had a close friend or somebody you knew that you were praying for, and they had this move of God where it was clear that they were responding. Maybe it was at a worship service or a time when you were sharing the gospel with them, and you see this response, and it happens, and it comes about, and there's this great joy that, that fills both people, and, you, and, and a couple of you are nodding your heads. Good. We should pray for this, and we should want this. But here's the caution, is it doesn't always last. Hagar is a character of some caution for us, because when she goes back, as we'll see later on in the story, there's more conflict. It doesn't mean that just because she had this beautiful moment with God and he spoke to her and he agreed to take care of her, even though her son wouldn't be the, the, the child of the promise, it didn't mean that it lasted. It didn't mean that she just said, hey, I'll go and be this perfect servant and I'll get it all right all the time. Maybe you're thinking ahead like I did when I was struggling with this in my mind. I remember the parable of the sower. God's word can do powerful things. But here we see the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came and devoured them, and other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. And it goes on, and we see different results. There's one that re results in a plant kind of uh, coming up and being choked out by the cares and the concerns of the world. The thorns get it. And so this isn't to depress us or to disappoint us, but we have to be realistic, complex, and layered. This is a great moment for Hagar, but let her be a character of caution for us. God's promises satisfied Hagar. They were a breath of fresh air. They were nourishment to her. Will we submit to this God? who may speak to us or others, and, and it's a flash, and, and there's maybe not the follow-up that we thought. All right, so great things happening at this point in the story, but God saw more. There is so much more 
to this character. There is so much more to this story. It's complex. It's very, very complex. If we think that this passage is a way for us to understand violence and hatred among people groups so we can classify one people group as favored and the other people group as violent and worthless, then we are making a very big mistake. Now, you may wonder why I'm starting to talk about people groups. It is very common for biblical scholars to understand Ishmael, the child that was born by Abraham, but was not the child of the promise, and we see the language of conflict and violence, it is very common for biblical scholars to anchor Ishmael as the father of Arab people. And specifically, uh, many believe he was indeed a forefather of Muhammad, who is the founder of the Muslim religion. And so some will take this story and go all the way back from where we are now and say, see, the people of God and Muslims have always been at odds with each other, and they always will, and it will be conflict and violence, and one people has favor, and one people doesn't, and that's the end of the story. So we should always be afraid of the people who don't have God's favor because they're going to harm us. That's the way that this ends up being taken. And what I want to challenge you with here is there is so much more to this. It is complex. Did the Ishmaelites become a people group? Yes. Are there descendants, racially Arab people? Yes. But like modern day Jews, are some of them cultural and not necessarily Jews by race? Yes. Have there been historical events from the people group of the Ishmaelites that have clouded the picture of what Arab really means, where it's cultural and linguistic and not necessarily racial. Yes. Do you see what I mean? This is complex. This isn't just two black and white people groups. This is about a child of the promise. Let's go back and remember. Who remembers what bubble wrap was originally supposed to be for? Dan Fackler in the back. Wallpaper. I don't know how that's possible. Whoever would put bubble wrap on their walls? Who would do this? Your mom would not let you put bubble wrap on the walls, all right? Okay, that's its original purpose. And when we did that illustration, we said we have to understand the original purpose of this document, the original purpose of the Old Testament, the original purpose of Genesis. Best conservative scholarship shows us that the Israelites got these five books of the Bible before they went into the promised land. It's, it's a document, the five books that would have encouraged them in their time in the wilderness and encouraged them as they were shifting into going into the promised land. That's why we see the end of Deuteronomy being so crucial. We, we see that. And so this this is helpful if you're that group of people and you read back and you say, yes, God has a plan for us. Genesis 10, the table of nations, right? We see the descendants of Noah as he gets off the ark and we see them begin to disperse and we see different people groups going in different places. That's great. And even in chapter 11, we see who's the focus, the descendants of Shem who become the Semites, who become the Jewish people. Yes, the people of promise were the Jews. 
they were the focus in Genesis because that's what God is doing at this point in the story is he's showing that he's got a people he's going to work through in the world. But it doesn't mean that everybody else is completely out to sea. And that, that if we pick one group, then we have to be opposed to all other groups. It doesn't have to be that way. Why? Because all throughout the Old Testament, even here in Genesis, we see people who aren't a part of that line of promise who have relations with God. He communicates with them. He works in their lives, and he shows that they can have a part in it. Think about that. Fast forward to today. I am overwhelmed at the timing of this. I did not plan this, I promise you. But over the last several months, God has been working in my life to bring about a trip this fall to Greece, where over the past several years, uh, Arab and many Muslim refugees have left the Middle East and are stuck in Greece. Lots more on that to come. But I'm, I'm anxious to go into travel. We're going to be able to do evangelism and strengthening some churches that have popped up there and meet some humanitarian needs. And I'm sitting there in the middle of all this and going, God, these are the people that should be outside the promise if we're not careful with this. They are outside of the original promise, but God still has a vision for their lives. We should want and desire the salvation of Arab-speaking people. We should want and desire the salvation of Muslims. And Genesis is laid out here in 16, not in a way to exclude that, but to show us that God still has a plan and a purpose. He saw so much more in this story. He saw so much more in the future of these events and the way it laid out. So we can affirm God as a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. But we want to be careful about divvying things up so, so tightly and so neatly that it excludes God's ability to work. Sometimes we may even look at it and go, hey, the people of the promise didn't do so well themselves. I want to show you this chart, and I promise before I show you this, my goal today is not to smear Abram who became Abraham. For those of you that are confused by that, give it just a couple of more weeks and we'll be able to say Abraham. <laughs> All right? That's coming in chapter 17. We're getting there. But here's the chart. On the left, you see seven tests of Abram. And on the right, you see results that look like about my efforts in high school chemistry. Now, the column on the right will make you millions of dollars in Major League Baseball. Right? You'd be doing real well. But you might look at the column on the right and go, well, I hope that's somebody else's kid. Right? I don't do this to smear it. I do this to say the word of God is relevant. And it shows us that we can be picked up after our failures. And he still has a purpose for our lives. We have salvation in Jesus Christ, friends. We have forgiveness of sin. He died. He suffered. He bled. He was murdered by people who hated him. Why? So we can get up after we fail, so we can be forgiven of our sins and see that we still have a purpose in our life. That's the glory of the good news of Jesus. That ought to get the adrenaline flowing for all of us. And we see it in ourselves, and we see it in people in our church and other believers, and we, and we see that, and we go, it's, it's very possible for God to still use us even though, even though we fail. Yes, may that be so, always. 
overwhelming to think about. God doesn't just focus in on the failures. He doesn't just focus in on the things that are negative to, to the point of exclusion. He, he sees a big picture. I'm glad he's a God with a big view for my heart, for our hearts. I pray that he would do that work in our hearts and our minds as we think about the world around us, that we would see others. A lot of pass and fail going on in people's lives. Let's not encourage the fail, but let's be there if it happens and make the next one a pass. We'll encourage and we'll build up together. God saw more than just a couple of women who weren't getting along. God saw more than just the sexual sin. God saw more than just going along with the culture. He saw more than all of it. Will we submit to God in everything? Will we embrace that there might be conflict in our lives? Let's remember the example of Jesus. Matthew 4 and Luke 4, immediately following Jesus' baptism, what happens? He's led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And God intentionally puts him in that place. Are we willing to embrace that some complexity and some difficulty may be a part of our walk, may be a part of our lives or our families, and we may have to trust God and work through it? Well, if you struggle with some of this, read Genesis. It'll help you all the time. You'll see where God has uh, purposes, and he's willing to work with families that have dysfunction. Praise God for that. He is willing and he is able. Will we submit? Not just in the short run, but will we be people who say, yes, God, I will take the purposes you have for my life and I will honor you as best I can by the power of the Holy Spirit. I desire that work of the Spirit in us this morning coming face to face with his character, Hagar. We're not done with her character. We'll see a little bit more of her in a couple of chapters down the road. Uh, but as we planted these seeds today, I hope it plants seeds of hope, seeds of sustaining faith, seeds of God being able to find us in our desperation, anytime, always, to his glory and for our encouragement and, and building us up.